We're going to put a picture on the screen, and I want you to take a look at this as kind of a, it's a personal picture. Um, we, uh, we bring you this picture from last Wednesday evening out of Louisville, Kentucky, and it's actually at an Olive Garden restaurant. How many of you like to eat at Olive Garden? Some of you maybe wish you were there right now. You'll be going there pretty soon. Uh, for those who are listening on the internet, and uh, often folks do, it, this is a picture that we're showing the audience here live uh, of our granddaughter, Charlotte. And what Charlotte is doing there is she is explaining the whole Easter story by opening a dozen plastic eggs. And e in each one of those plastic eggs, there is a symbol of something about the Easter story that she was, uh, uh, and she's six years old, uh, that she was very clearly enunciating uh, that told us that somebody's doing a good job getting the Easter story uh, in her spirit, in her heart. And I know in our case, uh, in her case, uh, it's uh, at home with her mother and father who love Jesus, but she's also blessed to be in a Christian school, very much like the one that we have here at Lakeview. And uh, those eggs actually came from her, her Christian school. And when we walked in, Cynthia and I, it was late Wednesday evening, and they delayed their supper hour and held a table there at the Olive Garden. And when we walked in, that's what she was doing. I snapped a picture of it, and I was, we were just fascinated at the level of specificity that she shared each of those. There was in one, it was a, there was a little symbol of the whip that Jesus was whipped with. And she said, but that's not the end of it. That whip had little pieces of steel on it and whatever. And it really hurt when you got whipped with it. And, you know, just very, very uh, elaborate in her explanations. And you may be thinking, uh, how much longer are you going to brag on your granddaughter? Listen, I'm not finished yet. The reason I brought, the reason I brought it up the reason I brought it up is because guess who else was listening? This middle-aged waitress was fascinated with this little six-year-old walking through all those dozen eggs and all of the story of Easter and the life of Christ. Who says a six-year-old cannot tell the story of Jesus and spread the gospel. Amen. That's why we need to have good Sunday schools and children's church ministries and all the different things that we're doing here in the life of the church and our Christian school and all of that to be able to tell the story of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of you this morning <clears throat> are, <clears throat> excuse me, like a lot of people, <clears throat> never really heard the story. Thank you. Turn that down. It hurt their ears up there. Uh, but maybe some of you are like a lot of people who never really heard the story of what Easter is all about. Uh, you've heard uh, bits and pieces, little smatterings. Uh, some of you may be unclear about some of the, the pieces of it. Uh, you probably know, almost everybody knows that it has something to do with a person named Jesus. But you're not really sure how uh, Jesus and the Easter bunny and Easter baskets and a bunch of candy, how all that has something in common. And uh, that is a little confusing. In fact, I'm not sure I can explain that myself. But uh, I, I want to take us to the Bible this morning for just a few moments. You're not going to be here long. We've designed this not to be that long of a morning, but, but an impacting morning. And we prayed that we could get to the point. So I want to take us to the Bible for a few moments before we leave for lunch. And I want to tell you about the most important man who ever lived and why you'll probably end up loving him if you don't already. And to help me do that, I'm going to read a couple of things from the Bible, which is really how we know things about Jesus. That's, that's how we know what to say about Jesus. It comes from the Bible, the Word of God. <clears throat> One of Jesus' most faithful followers was a man named Paul. His name at first was Saul, and uh, when, he, when he fell in love with Jesus, uh, his name was changed to Paul. And uh, he was one of the apostles, and so we call him the Apostle Paul. And he wrote a bunch of letters to people about 2,000 years ago, uh, so they would know about Jesus, and they would know how to become followers or better followers of Jesus. And that may be something for you this morning. Maybe you really know this, the Easter story. Maybe you could run through all those 12 eggs and you could explain all those things. And you've had a loving relationship with Jesus. But this morning may be a time when, when the Holy Spirit is calling you to a, a deeper level, a deeper uh, expression of your, 
your commitment to him. It, it may not be that you've been bad, naughty, uh, or, or uh, not faithful, but uh, that God is just calling you to a, to a new standard, to a new level in him this year. Or perhaps you will meet him and fall in love with him for the first time today. So in a letter to some people who lived in a place called Philippi, the Apostle Paul says some important stuff about Jesus, if I can use the word stuff. I know it's not very academic, but it's how we talk. Some really good stuff about Jesus. And so I'm going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 2. Happens to be the next section that we're studying together as we walk through uh, the book of Philippians, the letter uh, to the Philippian church. And so beginning at verse 8, for about four, four, four or five verses here, here we go. Being found in appearance as a man. He's talking about Jesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus. Being found, Jesus being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And I think it says even death on a cross because that was a miserable way to die. In fact, it was not only a miserable way to die that involved a lot of suffering and pain and agony, but it was so looked down upon in that culture that they wouldn't even use the word crucified or crucifixion in their regular language, uh, the way they could talk to one another. It was a vulgar term. It was that low. And so even death on a cross... A terrible, a terrible symbol uh, to the people. Jesus was obedient to the Father. Now let's pick up verse 9. For this reason also God, the Father, highly exalted him and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name which is above every name. So what's the highest name in the whole world, universe? Jesus. It's the highest name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven already, that would be God, the Father, Jesus now, because he's ascended and he's with the Father, and all the angels, and all the people that have died in Christ and who have gone to be in the presence of God when they pass from this life to the next, uh, everyone who is in heaven and on earth, that would be you and me, everybody that's alive today on the earth, and Every, everyone under the earth. I take that to mean the demons, the demons and all the underworld and all the, the, uh, those that have rebelled against God and, and are uh, a part of that dark uh, world. Every knee, the ones in heaven, the ones on the earth, and even the vulgar ones on the dark side, everyone at the end is going to say that they know Jesus is the Son of God. They will, they will bow in reverence and respect to that truth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That every tongue will confess that not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other name that we can place in there, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In another place in the Bible, we're told something about Jesus that most people would never know. They just wouldn't know it unless they read the Bible for themselves or, or someone told them. And that is this, that Jesus is not just another person in the world. But the Bible says that Jesus is God. Now, if you've been around here very long, you, you've heard me say that, and we understand that, and we believe that. But there are people here today or listening by way of the Internet that may not know that. Unless, some, unless you read it and believed it or unless someone revealed it to you, you wouldn't know that this Jesus, who everybody's talking about on Easter Sunday, is God. Well, it also said that he, he was found in, in, being found in appearance as a man. That was verse 8 but that Jesus is also God. Now, how he can be God and man at the same time, don't ask me to explain that. 
I, you know, I can't explain that. My brain is not smart enough to explain that. And maybe when we get to heaven, uh, those of us who are uh, trusting Christ as Savior, and we get to heaven, maybe God will expand our minds so that we can comprehend Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three personalities. I, I can't explain it further than that. And, and I've never had anybody else do it either, even people with many degrees after their name. It's a tough one, but it's what the Word of God says, and our job is to believe it and to trust in Him. And so uh, He's actually God. And being God, Jesus being God, was a big part of creating the world that you and I live in. The Bible says that too. It says because Jesus is God, He, he, he didn't start, He always was. That's why God said, tell him, I am sent you. I always, I, I, I've, I've always been. I am God. And so Jesus was there. In fact, he participated in the creation of everything that you and I see and know about called this world, this universe, this solar system, whatever. Jesus was there and a part of that. And a lot of times people don't know that. They're not aware of that. They think that Jesus uh, came alive when he was born in the manger, you know, in, in the Christmas story. And that's not true. That, that was when he was revealed as a man. But the most important day of the Christian calendar is not when he was born. It was when he was raised back to life. And the devil tried to keep him in the grave. Amen? So Jesus, who is really God, took on the form of a man at an appointed time in history. So that he could do something. Why did he do that? So that he could do something for all of us that we needed help with. Jesus left the throne room in heaven and came and took on the form of a man, started out as a little baby, the Christmas story, and took on the form of a man in order to help us, help us with something that we desperately needed help with. We, what do we need help with? We needed help to get rid of all the wrong stuff we do sometimes that God won't let into heaven. We, we needed help to deal with all the stuff that we do sometimes that God says, I can't let that in my heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. I'm going to talk about it in a second. It's a beautiful place, the Bible says. And in heaven, there is no sin. But I have sin on my ledger. How about you? We got, any, we got any perfect people out there? Don't raise your hand because you're lying. <laughs> Just confess your sin too because there's no perfect, only Jesus has ever lived that perfect life. So all of us have some degree of naughtiness in our, in our lives. When we knew the right thing to do, we knew the difference between right and wrong and we didn't do the right thing every single time, 100% of the time. And so God knew that we would need help with that. We couldn't fix it ourselves. We could say we were sorry but sorry doesn't cut it, you know, when you, when you have already violated. How many, times, how many times do we have to sin to be called a sinner? No, it takes one. One time. One time to steal to be called a thief. One time. And for most of us, it's multiple millions of times, perhaps, that we have failed God. And why is this a problem? Because heaven is a place that is beautiful, the Bible says. No, think about this. No, a place where there is no sin. I can hardly picture that. My whole, my whole frame of reference has had sin, not only in my life, but around my world in, and, and in the world in which we live. And, and, and the more global we become through the Internet and all these other things that we have, uh, the more I'm, I'm aware of the fact that just sin is rampant everywhere. But in heaven, it's beautiful. There's no sin. I could spend the rest of the day contemplating that and not get it all right. Guess what else? No sickness. No sickness. No mean people. Anybody know mean people? Anybody ever been accused of being a mean people? <laughs> That's no fun either. No bullies. I can't stand bullies, can you? It's awful. When I, see, when I see kids being bullied at school and some of these little things that somebody shot a video and nobody knew they were doing it, whatever, and it just makes you want to choke somebody. No bullies in heaven. No cheaters. No liars. No thieves. No people who talk behind your back. No people who stab you 
Say one thing and then do something different when you're not around. And, and something that's incredible, I can't even picture this, but it's true, not, not even any more death. Heaven's a beautiful place. And God says that sinners cannot go there because he's keeping it a beautiful place. It is not going to be perverted by sin and ugliness. It is a perfect place that is going to stay a perfect place for all eternity, the Bible says. So anybody, catch this, anybody who has ever been naughty can't go there. Not allowed in. He wants us in, but not allowed in because of sin, because of naughtiness, to use that word over and over redundantly. So anybody who's ever been sinful can't go there. God wants them to be there forever with him. So, so God, realizing we couldn't fix that problem in and of ourselves, you can't do enough animal sacrifices. You can't do enough penance. You, you can't say enough whatever special prayers. I don't want to pick on any religion or whatever. But you, there's, there's not enough money you can give away. There's not enough kind deeds little, helping little old ladies across the street. Uh, you, there's not enough good things a, a man or a woman can do to offset the fact that sin is on their ledger. It's on their record in the courtroom. And there's no way to get it off. So God literally came to earth in the form of a man and died as a man in our place so that all the sin debt could be taken off the record. You know, I used to work in the juvenile delinquent system for, for a number of years. And one of the things that the, the, that the young people who made some, some bad decisions and some bad choices in life, and they got, they got arrested and they got sent up, so to speak, who were under 18 years of age, and the, and the ones that really wanted to redeem their lives and really wanted to straighten up and fly right, so to speak, you know the first thing they wanted to know? First thing they wanted to know is, can I get this expunged from my record? Is there any way I can get this off my ledger? I, one of these days, I might want to get a really good job. And they're going to look at my record and they're going to see I was, I was incarcerated. Is there any way I can get that off my ledger so that that doesn't show anymore? And that's what Jesus did. He came and he paid for something that we couldn't fix and took it off of our record. And the great judge of the universe, God the Father, said, I put, because of the payment, it's so paid, it is so paid in full that it's as far as the east is from the west. Yours and my naughtiness is not on the record anymore if we're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. What, what a deal. What a, great, what a tremendous love God the Father had to send Jesus, who is God in the form of a man. And he said that anybody who would fall in love with Jesus for doing that, what Jesus did on that cross, anybody who would prove they love Jesus by obeying his rules for life until we die. He didn't say we had to be perfect but he said we would do our best to obey with his help. He says that he will come. Listen, this is great, great news. He said he will come into our lives if we invite him and he will help us and he will see that God forgives us of everything we've ever done wrong and he will take them to heaven with him when he comes back for us when, uh, when, uh, when they die and we will be with him, with Jesus, with the Father, the Holy Spirit. We will be with him forever. All because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, back to the Apostle Paul. But Paul says to do that, Jesus had to do something really incredible, which makes me love him a lot. Not just because the ledger gets cleaned. I love him for that because I don't want that stuff on my ledger and you don't either. But I love him because he was willing to, Paul says, humble himself to do it and be absolutely humiliated as a person on the cross in order to do that for us. And so I want to give you some examples of how Jesus was 
First of all, he was high and lifted up because he was in heaven. He, he was God. He was there when the universe was created. He was before all things. And so he was exalted. He was in a high place. But he, the script, but Paul says, hey, he humbled himself and he allowed himself to be humiliated. So he came, took on the form of a man, not God, took on the form of man and became, became humiliated. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem last week, what, what do we call last, last Sunday? Palm Sunday. Most of us know that. Some of you don't know that. But, but that's when Jesus was coming to observe the Passover. It, it was right, right when he was ready to be crucified. The people didn't know that, but, but he did. And he's going into Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And people are looking to him as, hey, here's, here's, the, here's the new leader. We just had a presidential election and we got a new person. And this new person is going to set us free from high interest rates. We're going to have great, uh, great retirement benefits. Uh, we're all going to get free health care and uh, life is going to be good. Everybody that wants a job can get a job and you can't make anything less than about seventy dollars or $80,000 a year and the sky's the limit. It could be millions. And it's going to be great under this new leader. And that's how they looked at Jesus. They said, here comes the new leader. He's going to set us free from Roman tyranny and anybody else that has given the Jews a hard time. And man, are we glad to receive him into Jerusalem. And so they cut palm branches and they put their coats down. And, and when he went in, he was exalted. Jesus was exalted. But ju in just a few days, in just a little while, he was betrayed and humiliated, humbled, humiliated by one of his own friends named Judas, who set him up to be arrested. So he was exalted, exalted as he came into Jerusalem. Then he was humbled. And the reason he was humbled was because he stayed obedient. I mean, he could have run off, but he didn't. He went on in and he got humbled. And, and one of his best friends turned on him and set him up to be arrested. And then, here's what happened. He goes to trial, and the judge sentences Jesus to death over a trumped-up charge that he didn't deserve. And what do they do? They raise him up. As if they exalted him. It was phony. It was pretend. They called him, he says that he's king of the Jews. And they raised him up on a cross up above everybody. He was exalted again, but it was a phony exaltation. And then after being called a king, he's immediately humiliated again by death, which made him look like a defeated wannabe leader who failed to convince the people who he really was. What a loser. And so there he was in death, defeated and humiliated. But then, as we've been talking, as Pastor Jim mentioned all day long, we've been building this story. Then he's uh, three days later, he's exalted again. Because he overcame death by being resurrected from the dead. That's not supposed to happen to dead people. Dead people are not supposed to come out of the grave. But he was exalted. He literally came back to life. And there were witnesses. There were eyewitnesses. And not just any witnesses. Because some witnesses could have lied and made up the whole story. But these were eyewitnesses who eventually, because they saw him again. They saw him dead. The Roman soldiers didn't, uh, didn't break his legs on the cross to hasten death because when they checked Jesus, he was already dead. Jesus was already dead. And so they poked him in the side and the blood and the water ran out of his side, but they didn't break his legs because they knew how to tell when a guy was dead. These witnesses eventually lost their lives. Do you know why they lost their lives? They lost their lives because they were telling what they saw and what they knew and that they had witnessed Jesus alive again. And guess what? Think about it this way. Do you know, do you know very many people who would be willing to die over a lie or for a phony cause? How many people do you know that would put their life on the line and die when they knew something was a lie and it was phony? Now, these, these guys, these people, they saw it. They knew it was true. They believed it and they told it. And they paid for it with their very lives. And so that's where we are here today on the timeline of Jesus' last days on the earth. 
from the perspective of highs and lows, highs and lows that it took for Jesus to leave this high place and come to this low place. And yet God is going to exalt him in a powerful way. He's being exalted now, but he's going to be exalted even more when we join him, when he comes for us and we go back for the last time. Amen. So the grave is now empty after three days. But when some ladies come by, some ladies who loved him a lot, they came by to check on him. And as you know, the story goes, they found that this huge heavy stone with the seal of Rome had been broken. The stone rolled away. We heard it about it in the eight, eight o'clock service. And the grave was empty. Mark 16, let me read it for you. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought, bought spices so they, that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. What a powerful thing. I want, you, I want us to think about this. He is risen. He's resurrected from the dead. What a powerful thing that is. I want, to read, I want to read to you, because Paul said, if there's no resurrection, if, Jesus, if this is a lie, if this is phony, if this didn't really happen, there's, there's a lot of problems that the world is going to have, and he's going to name them for us. And I, and I want to share that with you. I'm reading from a little different translation here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Think about, if Jesus, if Jesus had not resurrected, if he stayed dead in the grave, this is what Paul says. If we've told you that Christ has been brought back to life, how can some of you say that coming back from the dead is impossible? If the dead can't be brought back to life, then Christ hasn't come back to life. And if Christ hasn't come back to life, our message has no meaning. And your faith also has no meaning. In other words, you, you know, we all came to church for no reason. This is, this is silliness. This is tomfoolery. This is, this is following nonsense. Why would we be here in this place this morning if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, he's saying. In addition, we are obviously witnesses who lied about God because we testified that he brought Christ back to life. But if it's true that the dead don't come back to life, then God didn't bring Christ back to life. Certainly, if the dead don't come back to life, then Christ hasn't come back to life either. If Christ hasn't come back to life, your faith is worthless and sin still has you in its power, meaning you can't go to heaven because you still got sin on your ledger. Then those who have died as believers in Christ no longer exist. Oh, remember when you thought Aunt Susie and Uncle Joe, because they love Jesus, that they're in heaven, we'll get to see him again if we're in Jesus. And when we get to heaven, we'll all be joined. He said, that's phony. They're, they're not there. They're, they're, they're not anywhere. All, all you're hoping to see your loved ones who already died, forget about it. Those who have died as believers in Christ no longer exist. They're done for. If Christ is our hope in this life only, we deserve more pity than any other people. But now Christ has come back from the dead. He is the very first person of those who have died to come back to life. Since a man brought death, that's Adam, over sin, a man also brought life back from death, that's Jesus. As everyone dies because of Adam, so also everyone will be made alive because of Christ. This will happen to each person in his own turn. That means you can't ride on somebody else's coattail. You can't say my, my, my uh, uncle was a preacher and I think God's going to let me go to heaven. You can't say because you went to church several times on Christmas and Easter and gave some money in the bucket that somehow God is going to give you... No, this will happen to each person in his own turn. Everyone takes a turn standing before God to give... To give uh, uh, report of how we've lived our lives. Christ is the first. Then at his coming, those who belong to him 
will be made alive. And now catch it. Then the end will come. Christ will hand over the kingdom to God the Father as he destroys every ruler, authority, and power. You see, this, this grace Jesus, sometimes people forget that he's also a destroyer of those things that stand against the Father. And he's going to destroy all the principalities and authorities and the rulers who, have stood, who thought they knew better than Jesus, who thought they knew better than what the Bible says, who thought their way was better, who thought their idea was better. And that, that's, that's, why when we, that's why when we struggle with authority, uh, it's, it's not a bad thing to have opinions. In fact, the more opinions we have sometimes it, when, when we're amongst good people, the better it is, it is because we, we look at all facets. But when, when a person holds on to one opinion above, uh, above the authority or what God says or what the group has said is a reasonable thing, it can begin to lead us down a path that is not of God. And so we must be very careful with that. So, so Paul says of Jesus, if he did not resurrect from the dead, let me summarize it. Our preaching's futile. I've just wasted several minutes of your time in your life. It's like sitting at an extra long traffic light. And you're saying, I'm wasting my life here. I feel like I'm wasting my valuable life sitting here waiting for this traffic. Our preaching is futile. He says, number two, our faith is in vain. All the things that we thought were right, turns out they were wrong. And, and it's led us to nothing. Thirdly, he says, we have misrepresented God. If there's no resurrection, then we have misrepresented God. We are, and, he, and, and if there's no resurrection, he says, we're still in our sins. It's still on our ledger. We're still going to be held accountable. And fifthly, he says, our loved ones who have died have perished. You're not going to see them. They're done. It's over. Whatever time you had is the time you had, and it's over. And lastly, he says, we of all men, women, are most to be pitied if Jesus did not come out of that grave, if he did not overcome death. We are the most of all people to be pitied. So why would we be pitied? pitied? I ask myself that question. Why, why are we most to be pitied if Jesus didn't uh, overcome death? So here's just a few thoughts as I wind this down. We would be pitied because we thought the wrong things about God, heaven, and hell. Some of us, even some of us even right now, probably listening on the internet for sure, maybe in this room, have mistakenly thought the wrong things about God, heaven, and hell. You meant well. You thought you had good information. You thought that it was probably okay, adequate. But it turns out that it doesn't stand with what the Bible says completely. We thought, for example, there was no heaven or hell. There are some people who believe there is no heaven and there is no hell. When we die, we just cease to exist, and that's how it works. But that's not true, according to the Apostle Paul and according to God's Word. There is a heaven, and there is a hell. It would be a pity to believe all of a person's life that there's nothing after this life but nothingness, only to find out that when we pass from this life and we, and, and we experience the other side, that there really was a heaven, there really was a hell, and that we missed heaven because we believed the wrong thing about what happens after this life. That would be a pitiable uh, scenario to me. We would be most pitied. Here's another thought. We would be most pitied because we thought the wrong things about hell. Many people believe in hell that, that we're going to be somehow united with all of our friends who also went to hell. And so it's not going to be so bad because I know good old Tommy and, and good old uh, Pete and, and different people that I ran around with, and I know, that, I know they didn't go to heaven. So at least they'll be in hell with me if that's where I go. And so we'll just deal with hell together as friends like we went through this life uh, together on this earth. And wouldn't it be sad 
to believe that our friends are going to be with us in hell and it won't be that bad because we've got fellowship. What a pity to find out that hell isn't a place where fellowship can even take place. And the existence is so miserable that there never is any peace, never is there any joy to be found in this place called hell. But many people think it'll be okay because their friends will be there. We would be most pitied if we thought somehow in hell that the demons will be overseeing our existence in hell. Why? Why would that be a pitiable scenario? Because the demons won't be running anything in hell. Nothing. They'll be having their own problems, which if possible may be worse than the problems the normal people in hell will have because of how they led so many people astray and came against God. And they'll be subject to the same circumstances of separation from God and they will have no authority over anyone or anything in hell. So it won't help to make friends with the devil in this life. It won't help to make friends with a demon in this life because they have nothing to offer in hell. They will be as destitute and miserable like everyone else in hell without God and the love that Jesus wanted them to experience, but they turned down because they refused Jesus. How else could we be most pitied? We, we would be most pitied if we believed that somehow, once a person was condemned to hell because of their unwillingness to receive God's loving gift of forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus, we would be most pitied to find that there's no opportunity to ever leave hell. That would be a shame. That would be a pitiable circumstance to think that somehow, even if we went to hell, that, that somehow, some way down the way, we could ever be released from hell. What if the Bible is correct? And it is, that there's no second chance. There's no pay your penalty and get out of jail card once you've been sent to that place. No penance, no forgiveness, just hell. We would be most pitied, think about it, to look over the balconies of heaven. Let, let's say that the, the platform here is heaven, and this is a balcony, and, 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 and we get to look over, over the balcony of, of heaven and, and see what God lets us see. Absolute joy, sheer and indescribable peace, excitement in being in the presence of God forever with people who are joyful, with people who are kind, with people who are thankful for heaven, with people who are simply delighted to be with each other, with people who love to be in the presence of Jesus forever and ever. To be, to be on the other side and to be in hell and to be able to look over the balconies of heaven and to be able to see what a sweet existence that is for those who are there. That would be a pity. Paul says, a pity. So let's come back to his words in Philippians and verse 10. He says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, those on earth who still need to bow. Say, I already bowed. I did that when I was eight years old. I've got on my knees in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit. And, and, and I realized that, that if, if God didn't help me, if Jesus didn't die on the cross for me, I, I was going to that other place because I had naughtiness in my life. And I understood that. And, and, and I didn't want to go to that place. And I also didn't want Jesus to be disappointed in me. I, I wanted Jesus, I, you know, for anybody that would die for me, I, I, I want to make them happy. I, I'm thankful. Don't you feel thankful for Jesus? What do you, those of you that you know him and you know what he's done for you, don't you feel so grateful you just want to do good stuff and, and make him proud of you? I mean, that's how, that's how it works. And, and so, so everybody on the earth needs to do that. And some haven't done it yet. and still have opportunity, thankfully. And then those who are under the earth, those who are lost in the darkness and the, you know, the demons and what, that every tongue will confess, agree that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Agreeing that Jesus is Lord is not the key to get into heaven. They're just going to have to agree. They're going to see the truth for what it is. So according to the Apostle Paul, once we pass from this life to standing before God, everyone will see that Jesus was who he said that he was. 
Everyone will understand that they needed to be forgiven of their sins in order to go to heaven. But only the Christians. Now look, if God wants to do something with people who haven't heard yet, and they have to stand before him, if God wants to do something special with them, let him. It's his business. But according to the word of God, everybody needs to hear about this gospel. Everybody. That's the record that we've been given. And so we're to work that way. We can't give license when God has not given license. If he wants to do something, he can do that. And if he doesn't do it, that's his business too. But our job is to speak the word of truth about Jesus and how Jesus loves. And, he, and it's only through Jesus, who is God, who became man, who died in our place, set our ledger free and clear, uh, that he is the only path to God. So according to Paul, once we pass from this life, we'll stand before God. Only Christians have the forgiver, Jesus, the great forgiver. Because only Jesus died in our place, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anybody else. Only Jesus died in our place and paid it in full. To think that his death, this is a great thought. To think that his death, Jesus' death, was in behalf of the death and hell we all had coming. It's an incredible thought. Let me give you a quote here. R.C. Sproul says, quoted this from a Swiss theologian, Karl Barth. Some of you have studied him. And I quote, The Swiss theologian Karl Barth said that, that the most important word in the whole New Testament is the little Greek word huper, H-U-P-E-R, huper. Say it, huper, huper. The word huper simply means simply in behalf of. The death of Jesus is in behalf of Tim, in behalf of Cynthia, in behalf of Jim, in behalf of Sue, in behalf of Jeff, in behalf of Nolan, in behalf of Jessica, in behalf of those who have trusted Jesus and put their faith in him. Let me get back to the quote. The death of Jesus is in behalf of us. He takes the curse of the law for me and for you. Jesus himself said it in many different ways. I laid down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. John 10, 14, 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own I, I, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I laid down my life for the sheep. John 10, 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. He did. He laid it down, and they took it up again. It came out of the grave. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this commandment I received from my Father. I want to close with one little illustration that I think will touch your heart and help this to become a reality, perhaps for the first time, for somebody here today. My wife and I have very seldom ever watched the show American Idol. That's not a statement about it one way or the other. We just have very, very seldom ever watched that show. Just how it happened. But we happened to see it the other day. And we witnessed something that was rather incredible, at least was to me. A group of four young ladies sang a song, and they did a really good job, according to the judges, because the judges just raved. I mean, the audience went nuts when they finished the song. They were clapping and standing, and the judges gave them kudos, and they were terribly impressed with each one of the four young ladies. But they said that there was only room to go on to the next round. There was only room for three. Only room for three. Some of you may have seen that show. In order to move on to the next round, one would not be able to go. And this is what happened. Take a look. Women supporting women, 2018. 
That was a really good performance. The choreography, the synchronization, all of it was really mapped out very well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, girls, you were great. Um, you guys all got stardust on you. And, and I mean, honestly, like you guys as a group, you picked well. You guys know what you're doing. But we have room for three more people. Out of you girls, I need one person to volunteer to not go on to the next round. I'll do it. Well, you know, that was, that was somewhat cruel. But that wasn't the point. The point is not the cruelty of the little vignette. The point was when that young lady made a self-sacrificing decision to put the needs of her friends ahead of her own wants and wishes, it brought tears to our eyes. Did mine. I wondered if I would have done that. Would you have done that? And that was over a simple contest in Hollywood. Can we imagine what an incredible love Jesus has for each one of us, that he would leave his proper place on the throne of heaven, take on the form of a man, suffer and die a hell that you and I deserved for our sins, and satisfied the Father's standards for heaven. Can we imagine that kind of love? Who wouldn't want to be a Christ follower with a Savior like that? Who wouldn't want to love and follow a leader like that? Who wouldn't want the kind of power and help for their lives that Jesus can bring while we're still living our lives here on this earth? Who wouldn't want to go where the witnesses saw Jesus go when he ascended to heaven that day. And as he left them, amazed that he was levitating before their eyes and heading toward heaven and left them saying he would come back for those who loved him the same way he was leaving them. Who wouldn't want to know their sins could be forgiven? by asking Jesus to save them and to forgive them. Would you stand with me? I, I, I want, listen, there's somebody here today that maybe needs to step it up and, and you need to come to an altar and, and you need to pray and tell God you need him. You need more of him. You want to do better. You're saved, but you just want to do better and you need to talk with him. Maybe somebody that just needs a prayer and someone to put their hand on your shoulder and say, I, I, you know, I'm in a hard place. I love Jesus and I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm in a hard place. I need somebody to pray with me. But perhaps most importantly, isn't there someone here today who would say, you know, some of those, some of those things you said about heaven and hell, I've thought some of those things. Because that's what the television told me. And that's what the magazines told me. And that's what the people down at work told me. And, and I was raised in a home where they didn't tell me anything about God. And in, until I heard you talking about it, I never really thought that I might be believing silly, foolish things about God. And I'm not sure that I have ever told Jesus how much I need him. I've never said to God, I want my ledger clean if you'll do that. I, I, I can see you love me. I, I can see what the pastor said is, you love me. And, and you need to come and, and you just need to, 
Listen, we got, we got some folks. Zach, bring your people forward here. We got folks that want to pray with you this morning. Whatever, if you have confusion, if you're not sure, but, or you just want to have a witness to say, I want to settle it on this Easter Sunday morning, not because it's Easter, but because I, I, I need a Savior. And I've been kind of hoping I had one, but I, I want to know I have him and I want him to know it. And I'm not ashamed to go ask him to come into my life. And, and to be my savior and to forgive me of my sins. Would you bow your heads right now? And I just, just please don't look around so it can be private. And I just wonder, aren't there some that would just say, God, that, that is what I want. I want to go on record with you today with Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? Because I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up. Say, I want to, I want to settle that. God bless you. I want to settle it. I, I, I need to settle it. I'm going to pray, and while I'm praying, I'm going to encourage you and anybody else, whether you raised your hand or not, or if I didn't see it, to come and meet Jesus here at this altar and make your prayer a simple prayer and say, God, I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus. And I believe that as he came as a man and died on that tree, and by his power and the power of God Almighty was resurrected back to life, that you can breathe life into a dead me, a dead person because of the sin that I've done in my life. And you can breathe new life in me through forgiveness. And all you ask is that I love you and give you my life. I want to do that this morning. And I want to write it somewhere in my Bible or somewhere at home in a journal or somewhere that today is the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you and I want to encourage you to come and we have people that will pray with you. It's not embarrassing. And listen, I know the pews are tight. You tap somebody on the shoulder, they'll get out of your way. They'll be happy to let you get forward here. Father in heaven, just as we're closing this service, it's been a real joy to talk about the Easter story and the peace that we hadn't talked about so much yet. And that is what you've accomplished on the cross. Father, if I had more time, I'd like to talk more about what, about what the ascension was like and what a powerful thing that was to show us where we're going. Jesus ascended and he showed us where we're going if we belong to Jesus, waiting for us. But until then, Father, I pray that you would put it on the hearts of men, women, boys and girls, that if they're not sure that if they died today that they would be with you in heaven forever and ever to get that settled today through a simple act of faith of Jesus I need you I believe in you I receive you into my heart forgive me for my sins and help me to live the kind of life that you want for me and I'll do my very best help people to do that today Lord by way of the internet right here in this room Help them to do it and help them to know beyond shadow of a doubt how very, very much you care about them, how much you love them, and how much you will help them if they will only give you their faith and their trust. Thank you, Father, for being such a marvelous Savior. In Jesus' name.